You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Ron DeSantis looks to me like he's. You know, I, I, you know, I never like to call people right wing, but the things he's doing right now, they're right wing. Ron DeSantis is doing right wing shit. He's acting like a white nationalist. He's acting like a guy who's trying to push the replacement theory. You know, the stuff you hear where people are afraid that because somebody is Latino, they're going to take over the country or hurt their country. I mean, look. We can go through the statistics again. It's what we do. We do Latino truths here. Latinos are a net gain for the United States of America. By far, by far, the least apt to commit a crime. More apt to start a new business. Let me just stop there. Agua. I can't help but wonder that whenever we have conversations, there are like two types of persons, right? There's people who can look at things in the middle and figure them out. And then there are people who want to live in the extremes. You know, it's the same thing with immigration. There are people on the left who are extremists. You know, the people who say open borders. You know, let everybody in, no matter where they're from, at any time. Well, that doesn't make sense, right? And there are people like that. And I always thought, I don't know why, maybe I was, maybe I just... I was misinformed about him, but I, I kind of thought Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, was kind of like one of those guys who was a common sense guy, and he was really not an extremist on either end. And it's looking like I was wrong. I mean, Ron DeSantis looks to me like he's, you know, I, I, you know, I never like to call people right wing, but the things he's doing right now, they're right wing. Ron DeSantis is doing right wing shit. He's acting like a white nationalist. He's acting like a guy who's trying to push the replacement theory. You know, the stuff you hear where people are afraid that because somebody is Latino, they're going to take over the country or hurt their country. I mean, look, we can go through the statistics again. It's what we do. We do Latino truths here. Latinos are a net gain for the United States of America by far. By far, the least apt to commit a crime, more apt to start a new business. Let me just stop there. Third fastest growing economy in the entire world. Latinos in the United States are economically more viable than the people of the United States themselves. They're growing at a faster rate. Latinos in the United States, 80% of them are U.S. citizens. You know, 95% speak English under the age of 41. I could go on and on. We know all these things. That doesn't mean that Latinos are not a problem. That doesn't mean you shouldn't deport people who don't belong here. That doesn't mean you shouldn't patrol the border. But to spend $615,000 of taxpayers' money from Florida to send a plane to Texas to round up 50 Venezuelans and ship them to Massachusetts and then hold a news conference where you say that they're all illegal aliens 
Just, by the way, that word, or those two words, illegal aliens, not even saying illegal immigrants, the word aliens, the word in and of itself illegal. Actually, have they been tried yet? How do you know that one of those guys isn't actually even possibly not illegal? How do you know that by the laws of the United States of America, he did not have a, quote, well-founded fear of persecution, stop quote, which would mean he's not illegal. If a person who comes to our shores can prove that if they return to the place where they came, they will be killed because there will be a government entity or some other entity who has said, if you don't leave, we will kill you. And the United States has a law that says if somebody has a well-founded fear of persecution, we will allow them to stay. Therefore, they're not illegal. But we don't know if all 50 of these people who escaped from, by the way, a country that we're at odds with, we, we supposedly are at odds and are enemies of Venezuela. We think their government is a torturous government. Therefore, the people leaving Venezuela are leaving a torturous government. So says the U.S. State Department and the U.S. Embassy there. So if a person in Venezuela goes to the U.S. Embassy and says, the government is looking for me, they want to kill me, we will give them refuge. So when he says these Venezuelans are all illegal aliens, he's using a certain verbiage, which gives him away, which he's using because... As we well know, it's a whisper, right? It's a dog whistle. Illegal alien is the term that's used by white nationalists, by right-wing people, by people worried about the replacement theory. They're aliens, like Martians. They're invaders. They're coming here to take away what you have. They're up to no good. That's what he's doing. That's the language that he's using. That's the way he's telling his story. That's how he's explaining why he did what he did. You know, what he doesn't understand, and what I've been telling people who've been asking me about this, and a lot of people have been calling and asking me, because I happen, you know, there's a lot of people who are Venezuelan here on our staff. And we talk about this. And he's doing Massachusetts a great favor. He doesn't know that. It, instead of those Venezuelans costing the state of Florida $612,000, more than a half a million dollars to take 50 people, that's $12,500 per person that he's charging me because I live in Florida as a taxpayer to get one person out of the state of Florida. That person would have come here would probably have paid taxes, would probably have started a business at some point, most Venezuelans do, would probably have hired two or three other people, most Venezuelans do. And he probably would have been paying into the tax base of Florida to the tune of thousands of dollars. Instead, we're spending $12,500 per person to get him out. Those of us who are capitalists, those of us who are market-driven, think that what Ron DeSantis is doing is not just stupid, but it's almost socialist. Yeah, it's the government deciding who can fail or who can succeed. 
It's the government deciding who's going to win and who's going to lose. This is Ron DeSantis as Fidel Castro saying, I don't like you, you're out. I'm putting in my people. And by the way, we're now getting reports that the companies that did the shipping of these illegal aliens, as he calls them, they were cronies. They were associated with Ron DeSantis and his administration. So think about that. A Republican governor gets his people, pays them $612,000 of my money as a taxpayer to ship people out of the state so he can hold a news conference on Fox News and say, see, I hate illegal aliens and I'm going to get rid of them all. If that's not taking advantage of a wedge issue, and again, you know I play it down the middle. Both parties do that. Both parties, both parties take advantage of these kinds of things to make their point. But that's exactly what Ron DeSantis is doing here. Little does he know that he's actually helping. He would never understand this, of course, because he would have to know a little bit about us as Latinos. He knows nothing about Latinos. Nothing. Obviously. Because if he knew something about Latinos, he would not call us illegal aliens, right? To say that anybody who comes from a Latin American country, just because they're not documented properly, is an illegal alien. It's just not the kind of language you use if you want to ingratiate yourself with, with people. By the way, speaking about ingrati ingratiating himself with people, Venezuelans tend to be pro-Ron DeSantis. Those are the people who put him in office. It's fascinating that you know, there's now a question in the Venezuelan community as to whether they're going to continue to vote for Ron DeSantis after he has done, you know, something like this. But it's, you know, it's, 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 it's a funny issue at a funny time in America where we're trying to come to grips with how we can work through these things, right, rather than deal with them the way we're dealing with them here. And to finish my point about what Ron DeSantis doesn't know, those people will end up going to Massachusetts. And if Massachusetts is lucky enough to have them stay there, they will be the teachers, the lawyers, the business people. They will start businesses. Their sons and daughters will go to school there and probably end up with the highest GPAs in the school. They'll go on to college. They'll be good for Massachusetts. They'll be productive citizens and they'll be good for Massachusetts. And Governor DeSantis doesn't understand that because he's sending them away because he's saying they're refuse. We don't want them. They're garbage. They are not good. That's what he's saying. These people are going to be a blight on Florida. They're not going to be any good for Florida. They're refuse. They're garbage. And we want to get rid of them. That's what he's saying to the Venezuelan community. And mark my word, they will hear that. They will hear that. It's hard not to see it. I wanted to give DeSantis the benefit of the doubt and think he's more of a mainstream guy somewhere in the middle who can kind of figure things out and will call bullshit on both sides, whether it's the Dems, the Libs, who are full of crap half the time, or the Republicans who are full of crap the other half the time. He's not. 
He is a he is a full go non-stop right wing white nationalist. And that or at least here let me put it this way. These actions these actions being the governor of Florida and sending a plane owned by your cronies to Texas to pick people up and send them to another state. What the hell is that? I could almost understand, though I'd still disagree with it, if he was taking people from Florida and sending them somewhere. But he's going to another state to pick up people. Some would say kidnap them under false pretenses. Because if tomorrow I went and stopped someone on the street in my neighborhood in a van or a bus and said, hey, there's a fire and you've got to run. Get out of here. I'll take you to a safer place and you jump in there. And then I take you to who the hell knows where, Alaska or something and drop you off in a blizzard. Without you really volunteering to go. Because if you go under false pretenses, you're not really volunteering. That's kind of kidnapping, isn't it? It's a heck of a thing. It's a heck of a thing. Something that we would usually only expect to see in other countries. Speaking of other countries, I want you, there's something really fascinating going on right now. It's happening in Iran. And there's some video coming in over the weekend of women. Now, mind you, Iran is supposed to be the most autocratic, ruthless place in the world, according to our media, right? And, and that's why, to a certain extent, I always like looking at stories before I cast a judgment. We're supposed to hate Iran because it's an autocratic, horrible place where people are shot and killed in the streets if they defy Sharia law. Well, I want you to listen to this. These are women taking to the streets, um, chanting, angry protesters that they are. They take off their hijabs in public to show their dissatisfaction. These are all women, at least the ones taking off the headdress. Uh, they're angry that a woman was recently arrested and punished and died in jail because she was picked up because she wasn't wearing her hijab. So they're protesting because of what happened to that woman. What does that sound like? Sounds exactly like what happened in the United States. Sounds exactly like what happened in the United States. Right? Here, take a listen. So I'm watching this video. They're all taking off their hijabs and they're chanting and they're holding them over their heads and throwing them up in the air and they're telling the government the hell with you and we're angry. And listen to this. This is Iran. It looks like thousands of women on the streets protesting and throwing their hijabs in the air and taking them off and daring the government to do something about it. And as far as we know, the government hasn't done anything about it. And what does this remind you of? This is, I mean, George Floyd was a U.S. citizen 
who was arrested by the police, and then he died. And soon afterward, African-Americans and others all over America took to the streets and protested the treatment of George Floyd and, as they say, other African-Americans by the police. These are women in Iran who are angry because a woman who took off her hijab was arrested by police and died while she was being arrested. The government says it was a heart attack. They're calling it bullshit. And now they've taken to the streets and are protesting because they demand freedom for other women. It's almost like the same thing. It's almost like the same thing. And in the United States, they generally let these people, you know, protest until in some cases it got out of hand. So far, as far as we know, they're letting them protest in Iran as well. And, and I guess I just, the, the only reason I mention this, the only reason I mention this is because sometimes I think to myself, well, boy, I would hate like hell to be a woman living in Iran. I mean, the idea that the government tells you you have to have your head covered, the government tells you you have to wear certain clothes, that does seem oppressive. It does seem oppressive. That said, the women now are protesting because they don't fear the government. And they're saying, we're going to protest. We're going to get together and we're going to do this. And as far as I know, I mean, I get, I'm, just, I'm just thinking here. If, if, if Iran was the dangerous, autocratic place where people are butchered on the streets and killed and the government was ruthless, et cetera. Why are these people allowed to protest like this? And why have I not seen follow-up reports that all these women were machine gunned down the next day or that they went to visit them at their house and killed them all? Is it possible that somewhere in the middle lies the truth? That while Iran is a ruthless place because it has Sharia law and tells people that they have to live by certain religious standards, which I wonder sometimes if we're not too far off from that in this country. And while all of that is wrong, the fact that I'm seeing women on the streets protesting makes me think, well, what does that mean then? It, it, th th this whole business of what happens, especially in a lot of these Middle Eastern countries, is sometimes baffling to me. And, and it does from time to time make me wonder why the media presents things as they are. Like, and it's why I always say, we should talk to these people. We should find out more about them. We should call them on their bullshit. We should tell them what we think they're doing that is wrong and understand what they might be doing right. Because we are not, as much as we love America and I love this country and will defend it with my life if I have to, we are not the arbiters of truth. And we have our own problems with our own system when it comes to what we call democracy. So before we go around saying our system is perfect and everybody else is wrong, I think we ought to give a listen to places like Iran and Russia and China and every other country out there. Not because I want to agree with them, especially if they're autocratic butchers as they are in some cases, but because we need to understand what is the truth. For example, why are these women protesting no different than women protest here or African-Americans protest here or other people protest here? 
And if that place was so dangerous, why weren't they gunned down? Some people would argue that the African-Americans who protested after George Floyd were treated worse, George Floyd, pardon me, were treated worse than these women protesting in Iran. Yeah, put that in your pipe and smoke it. Speaking of the Middle East, did you see what's going on with the Queen's funeral? Let's talk about that. So the world is somewhat shocked. I don't know if you've noticed this is uh, going on. Everybody's talking about the Queen's funeral. You know, uh, be honest with you, it's hard not to think that this thing is being overcovered. I I know it's a worldwide event, but when you take into account her age and the way it's being covered, um, there's just a lot to say. But one of the things, so I haven't spent a lot of time talking about this, unlike everybody else. Uh, But one of the things that is hard to not notice is whose side is on whom, right? And who, who, when, when something like this happens, everybody divvies up into groups, right? Here, it, it's kind of like high school. <laughs> it's like, it's like, right? Bo- girls uh, in high school, when they're like 16 and 17, and it's like, this is my best friend, and we're all going to hang out together. And those girls over there, we don't hang out with them because they're the other ones, and they got cooties or, you know, whatever it is. Well, that's kind of what's going on right now. This is one of those, yeah, there's cliques forming, right? But, and of course, that's always going to happen. But one of the ones which I think is fascinating, and I don't know if you guys have seen this, and it says so much about the world, is we, you know, we know they're not going to invite uh, Venezuela. They're not going to invite Russia because of everything going on with Ukraine, which you could make an argument that they probably should, because you know what? Fine, we'll settle the Ukraine thing. And eventually, by the way, they have to settle the Ukraine thing. But they say they're not going to invite you, uh, Russia. They're not going to invite uh, Venezuela. They're not going to invite several other countries that are on the bad list. But then they invited the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, Mohammed bin Salman. And, and, and you begin to wonder, well, wait a minute. You're inviting the guy who we all know is responsible for butching, butchering an American journalist? I mean, just, just, just think. I mean... Under this guy's direction, according to the CIA's reports and the intel reports that I have read personally, he did everything possible to get Khashoggi, the journalist for the Washington Post, to go to a place where there was a plan to kill him and then chop him up into pieces so nobody would find out and get him out of there. And and it's... We have every reason to believe that the crown prince of Saudi Arabia was behind that. Well, let me put it to you this way. It wouldn't have happened if he hadn't okayed it, okay? That's not the kind of country where people just make those decisions on their own. And now we ask ourselves, so that guy's invited to the queen's funeral? That guy's invited to the queen's funeral? Huh? Please help me understand this. Well, I I, I couldn't stop thinking about this. So I've asked. Sarah Lee Whitson to join us, executive director of Dawn, Democracy for the Arab World Now. She's a superstar, by the way. I could go on and on about her credentials uh, in the field of human rights, et cetera, et cetera. So she can speak to this. She studies this. She thinks about this. And uh, she's good enough to join us. By the way, we should mention something to you. It might be a little irritating, and we apologize for that. But you're going to hear a little dinging sound from time to time during my uh, conversation with Sarah. It's, uh, 
I promise it won't be that obtrusive, but it is there. And uh, it might bug you a little bit during the conversation, but you know, we do the best we can. I'd rather tell you now than rather you think it's your phone and constantly be looking down at your phone. But uh, we apologize for that. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for joining us here on the Rick Sanchez News Show podcast. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me, Rick. No, this is good. Okay, so your reaction. All these other countries are told they can't go to the Queen's funeral, which, by the way, is a religious event. I think and even in families, you, you the guys who are, aren't on the inn, you let them come because you're supposed to get together and pray. It, it's a harmonious event. Everybody should come. But if you're going to start leaving people out, why would you leave this guy in? Right? Well, they didn't leave him in. Uh, they were deeply conflicted. And that's why up to this moment, we still have the is he or isn't he coming to the funeral or the reception after the funeral? Is he on the invitation list? Is he not on the invitation list? Um, and the British government and the Saudi government have gone back and forth, changing their story every single day, um, because the reality is so much stink attaches to this guy um, that on the one hand, Liz Truss, the new prime minister, is dying uh, to milk every last petrodollar dime uh, out of uh, Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman's uh, bloody paws. On the other hand, his paws are bloody. Hmm. And nobody actually wants him at the funeral because it's so embarrassing. It's so shameful uh, at this moment that is meant to be a tribute uh, to a constitutional monarchy, is meant to be a tribute to, uh, 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 you know, the, the, the principles and values and respect that the whole world is there to accord uh, the United Kingdom, um, that they have this guy. Someone who, unlike the Chinese government, unlike the Venezuelan government, uh, who's one of their most senior leaders, the crown prince, has been caught red-handed in murdering a journalist. It's too much. It's And that's why you're seeing all this nonstop flip-flopping. But here's the wording, and I'll quote you what it said. I'm, I'm going to quote you the BBC. Saudi crown prince Mohammed bin Salman, not expected. Listen to the words. Not expected. The Guardian, bin Salman, no longer expected. Uh, Evening Standard, Saudi Crown Prince will no longer attend. You notice it doesn't say is disinvited. You notice it doesn't say is not invited. It says not expected, almost like he has voluntarily decided not to go. That is, by the way, the way it's being explained in the New York Times. Not not invited, but he has decided not to attend. Big difference there, right? Uh, it is a big difference, and it's a bit of a PR stunt all around and a failed PR stunt at that, because at the same time, uh, there was a leaked invitation list that was published reportedly uh, by the foreign ministry that included in the invitation Salman of Saudi Arabia, not even calling him King Salman of Saudi Arabia, uh, not including Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. So Salman is the king of Saudi Arabia, the father of Mohammed bin Salman. He has not traveled anywhere. Yeah. Uh, since he became king and, and unlikely that he's able to in any event. He's in a coma, right? Um, well, I don't know if he's in a coma. Nobody really knows right. uh, what exactly is going on. Um, but again, it just shows this herky-jerky uh, uh, back and forth of, of, well, he's invited to the reception, but he's not invited to the funeral. Well, he's invited to the funeral, but he's choosing not to come. They have changed their story and their messaging by the hour. Whereas with Putin, they made a very firm declaration, eh, eh, ixay, nixay, not coming, not invited, we don't want you here. 
you know, it is at the heart of why there isn't greater support for the war in Ukraine outside of the West, um, because people around the world see um, that while uh, Putin is disinvited, uh, the, the tyrants uh, 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 in the Middle East whose petrodollars uh, the United Kingdom and the United States and, and France crave so desperately, they get a pass. They get a pass on all the international norms and all the international laws that we are accusing Putin of breaking, that Putin is breaking. Um, but somehow it's okay uh, if Saudi Arabia invades Yemen and kills half a million people. Sometimes, somehow it's okay if Israel steals Palestinian land and builds settlements there. Not okay if Russia does it in Crimea. Um, all of these exceptions uh, that, that the United States and the West give uh, to the dictators, uh, uh, apartheid states in the Middle East, and then they expect the rest of the world to believe them when they talk about international law and human rights. It's not working anymore. Everybody can see it's naked in front of the whole world to see. Boy, I'll tell you, you put that in such unbelievable terms, and there is such a hypocrisy whenever we think of these uh, situations. I, I can't, you know, I can't help but think that given the scenario that we're looking at right now, um, it would be difficult for someone not to even look back at some of the things the United States has been involved in, right? I mean, the United States was involved in the invasion of Iraq. The United States was involved in the invasion of Afghanistan, supposedly only up and until we were able to get uh, bin Laden uh, but we got bin Laden and stayed there another 10 years. The United States was involved in the catastrophe that is Yemen, where, according to the United Nations, 50,000 children have died in a proxy war between Iran and uh, the Saudi Arabians, which is being fought with U.S. weapons, our weapons. But all of these things don't come into any of these conversations, and they kind of should. Well, uh, you're right, they should. And, and here's the thing, for the rest of the world, it's very obvious and very clear. Um, you know, and these aren't just things that happen in the past tense. These are things that are happening now um, because we're not just looking about what U.S. troops are doing on the ground in Iraq or Afghanistan. We're looking to see what U.S. proxies supported by U.S. weapons uh, are doing in the Middle East. And so while the U.S. is still involved in the war in Yemen, still a party to the conflict, still firing missiles to defend the Emiratis, uh, uh, supposedly to defend the Emiratis and the Saudis, uh, while the U.S. is still providing billions of dollars in military assistance to Israel and Egypt and Jordan, um, somehow uh, we are very, very upset uh, if anybody else should uh, uh, breach the rules of international law and breach the norms. And I think this is really a lot more than about hypocrisy. If it was hypocrisy, maybe we could all hold our noses and say, well, you know, sometimes you got to cut corners if you're going to win. The real problem is that these actions, these behaviors by our government to support unelected autocratic dictatorships in the Middle East uh, are undermining our own national security interests. They're undermining the interests of the American people because they're entangling us in costly, dangerous, reckless wars in the region. They're generating mass conflict and instability in the region. And they are ensuring that we lose the war of ideas, of values uh, against China and Russia. 
President Biden tells us that promoting democracy is his top priority, and that's how we're going to win against China and Russia. We're going to lose that battle because the whole world can see that we don't really mean it when we talk about democracy. We don't really mean it when we talk about human rights. So I, I want to go back to something you said about the relationship we have with these countries because of, well, for monetary reasons. You, you may hate Donald Trump because he's vile, but he said something which struck me at the time as being one of the few times I've ever heard a politician in the United States be completely honest. When he was asked why he was going to meet with bin Salman and why he wasn't putting sanctions on bin Salman, unlike every other country in the world that somehow gets U.S. sanctions, he said, there's just too much money at stake. It's too good a deal. We can't walk away from these guys because we get too much money and too much oil from them. He actually said that. I thought, wow, everybody else, every other U.S. president has talked around that issue. He's the first one who just said, yeah, it's basically corrupt. I know. Sorry. That's just the way it is. The reality, in fact, is many people in the Middle East prefer Trump for just that reason. They knew what they were getting. There was no smoke and mirrors of values and human rights and uh, 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 all the other yang-yang that President Biden has subjected us to. If you remember, promising he was going to end arms sales to Saudi Arabia, promising he was going to hold Mohammed bin Salman and Saudi Arabia accountable to treat them as the pariah that they are. And, you know, just less than two years later, showing up in Riyadh on bended knee to kiss the ring of Mohammed bin Salman, a bu bump his fist like the good old chums they are. It's so shameful. It's so embarrassing. But here's the thing about the money. Uh, and the supposed shortcuts we're taking in the interests of money. This isn't money that's coming to the American people. This is money that's going to defense industry uh, uh, and various other tech companies, big, big industries who are profiting from a cozy relationship with Saudi Arabia. This is not in the interests of the American people. And that's why the real question we should be looking at is why is one government after another, one administration after another, continuing to represent the interests of the defense industry, of technology industry, various other industries, when the actions they're taking are undermining the interests and values of the American people. Because those industries have lots of money and they continue to have more and more money. And the reason they have lots of money is because they also own the U.S. Senate, the House of Representatives, most of the cabinet, and you could make the argument, as we learned from Mr. Trump, the president of the, of the United States himself, because they bribe them, and the bribery is legal. They, Raytheon is allowed to give millions of dollars to senators and representatives with the explicit instructions that I am giving you this money because we want to be able to make more helicopters and sell them around the world. And, oh, we need a place for those helicopters to crash so we can continue to replicate them. That's the deal. And we all know it, right? Absolutely. And, and you know, when President Biden talks about saving democracy uh, around the world, um, we have to start by saving our own democracy. We have allowed our government to become corrupted by these lobbyists 
who bribe their way into getting uh, policies and laws that serve them and not the American people. And not just that, it's not just the campaign contributions, it's the revolving door so that you have government officials planning their next job uh, out of office while they're still in office. And it's not just American bribery. If it was just American companies bribing American lawmakers, well, maybe at least there's American jobs at stake. Now we have foreign governments bribing American policymakers. That's why Jared Kushner gets to walk away with $2 billion in his junk pretend investment fund. $2 billion from guess who? Mohammed bin Salman. Uh, and that's why Steven Mnuchin gets to walk away with $1 billion uh, from the Saudi government for his little investment fund. This is how they're cashing in. Cashing in. Who do they represent? Who are they working for? Why hasn't there been more critical examination of why our Secretary of Defense was sitting on the board of a preeminent defense company? Why hasn't there been more outrage that our own Secretary of State, Secretary Blinken, has still refused to tell us who his clients were at West, Ag at West Exec Advisors, whether they included defense companies or even foreign governments? Um, we should all be very afraid because we're not just losing our country uh, to, to, to industries and companies in America who may be acting in their profit interest and not America's. We're losing control of our government to foreign governments, foreign dictatorships, foreign tyrannies. That's why Tom Barak is really being prosecuted right now. And no, he's being prosecuted for being an agent for the Emiratis and infiltrating the Trump campaign. But the only crime he's actually being accused of is not disclosing that. If he had filed a piece of paper disclosing that he was an agent for the Emiratis, then it would be okay. Perfectly fine for him to bribe his way into a presidential election campaign. You just said that uh, the president's son-in-law got $2 billion from the Saudi government. Um, that's a heck of a thing to say. If I knew what he got it for, maybe I could be convinced that there was a, a need for it. Do we know what that uh, reason was? Yeah, so uh, Mr. Kushner, um, with uh, all of his investment and finance experience, zero, none, set up an investment fund right after leaving office um, and uh, solicited uh, investments for that investment fund. Uh, to date, as has been reported, 95% uh, of that investment he's solicited so far has come from none other than uh, the public investment fund controlled by Mohammed bin Salman in Saudi Arabia. That's where the $2 billion comes from. And what do the Saudis want in return? Or was that already taken care of during the uh, administration while uh, his father-in-law was in office? Well, it's certainly already been taken care of. And you'll remember uh, President Trump in another moment of candor, very openly uh, describing how uh, he saved his ass. He saved Mohammed bin Salman from sanction and prosecution for the murder mm. of Jamal uh, There's a big, big, big debt that Mohammed bin Salman owes uh, uh, the Trump administration owes Jared Kushner his buddy. And by the way, that's why no matter what Biden does, no matter how deep on his knees he sinks to kiss Mohammed bin Salman's ring, Mohammed bin Salman is still going to spit on him and still go after the Republicans and still support Trump when he runs for re-election. That's what's so pathetic about this groveling of the Biden administration. Wow. Um, 
It seems to be the way that we do business in all of the Middle East these days, though. Is there any hope that uh, this will change? Uh, absolutely, there's hope. Uh, I think there's hope because uh, organizations like mine, many organizations are working very hard to change U.S. policy in the Middle East uh, and to demand that our government, that our elected officials actually represent the interests of the American people and not the people who are bribing them. Uh, we are pushing for legislation uh, that will bar lobbyists working for abusive governments from meeting with elected officials. We are pushing legislation that will bar elected officials from leaving office to work for foreign governments, which, by the way, they've already passed a law. Congress has already passed a law uh, uh, barring intelligence agents from going to work for foreign governments because we had so much leakage of our spycraft to governments like the UAE, who then turned around to use it to spy on Americans. It's crazy. Speaking um, so of that, could I ask you a question? I've thought a lot about this, and there seems to be a lot of palaver out there about this. Do you think it's possible that the former president was keeping those secret documents, which apparently even had something to do, according to the reports in the Washington Post and the New York Times, that could have had nuclear information on them regarding uh, nuclear secrets that the United States has always tried to keep very... Uh, you know, under the vest based on uh, not wanting other governments to know. It, you Do you think it's possible that the former president was warehousing those documents because he knew what the value would be to a Prince bin Salman, for example? Well, I mean, I don't want to speculate. I think we can just look at the record of President Trump and the way that he chose to deploy confidential information to go after enemies, to go after people he wanted to threaten and wanted to extract concessions from. Um, there are so many examples of egregious uh, uh, thefts of information by the Trump administration, the misuse of national security information, including, for example, when Jared Kushner had access to the names of Saudi activists who'd gone and met with the White House, names he gave to Mohammed bin Salman to curry favor with him. Think about names what you just said. Think about what you just said. Think about what you just said. People in Saudi Arabia who wanted to come to a land of the, 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 the home of the free and the land of the brave, a place that calls itself my country, your country, as the most important democracy in the world, right? And these people came to us trusting that we would take care of them and said, in the country where I come from, Saudi Arabia, they are doing these horrible things. They are butchering people. They are killing people. They are torturing people who they think might be against the government. And we, instead of protecting them and helping them, or at least doing nothing and hearing them out, you just said we turned their names and their information over to the butcherers, right? Is that what you just, is that what I just heard you say? That's exactly right. And that's one of the reasons why we filed the lawsuit. We support a lawsuit, a Freedom of Information Act lawsuit, because we don't just want to know what the role of Mohammed bin Salman was in the murder of Jamal Khashoggi. We want to know who in the United States knew or was privy to this information, who might have shared information about Jamal Khashoggi and the work he was doing in the United States uh, to Saudi Arabia. And we have a very, very serious suspicion uh, that that information would implicate uh, people like Jared Kushner. Um, unfortunately, the U.S. government has provided us no information that we've asked for uh, in terms of 
what U.S. officials knew and when they knew about the threat to Jamal Khashoggi and the threat to other Saudi activists who've been attacked, harassed, surveilled, their family members held hostage in Saudi Arabia um, because of their activism here in the United States. Most countries in the world, when they want intel from the United States, they send in people to, I guess, spy and they send in people to get to know the right people and ask questions. The Saudis don't need to do any of that. They could just buy it from the highest source. Well, that's exactly what they've done. Wow. That is a fascinating that is a fascinating story, and it really doesn't speak well of uh, of who we are. I mean, it's disappointing. I mean, you and I, we both love America, but there's some things we need to fix when it comes to our foreign policy. And uh, I'm, I'm not I'm not sure. I'm not sure that uh, given where we are right now, it's going to get any better, because I, I don't really think, with all its vileness and all its faux pas, that the Trump administration was any better or any worse than the administration we have right now, or frankly, even the one before that. Do you agree? I think that in the Middle East, uh, we've seen a lot more hand-wringing uh, by the Biden administration and before that, the Obama administration about all the wrong things they're knowingly doing uh, in the Middle East, but in the end, still do them. Um, whereas with the Trump administration, there was no hand-wringing. They were, they were unapologetically supporting uh, 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 the dictators, as 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 Trump called uh, General Sisi of Egypt, his favorite dictator. What? So it was it was a lot more naked. Um, I think there's a lot more guilt and angst among the people inside the Biden administration, and that's why on the margins you'll have them try to do a little bit of with an individual case of a detainee here and there. Uh, but writ large, uh, they remain loyal to decades of U.S. policy that is about supporting, empowering, uh, 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 conspiring with authoritarian, abusive apartheid governments in the Middle East uh, to maintain hegemony, enrich uh, American defense companies. As long as they have enough money and they have enough oil and they're willing to share it with the right people and the right organizations in the United States, but not necessarily to the benefit of the American citizenry. And that's the differentiator. That's exactly right. Yeah, that's a fascinating, fascinating rele revelation. Uh, Sarah Lee Whitson, thank you so much. Uh, unbelievable discussion. I mean, it's, uh, it's it, th these are the kinds of truths that we'd like to see more Americans understand, not because we wanna be critical of our country, not because we want anything other than the best for our country, but because these things are important to know. And you're not gonna hear this if you turn on CNN or MSNBC or Fox News, or even to a certain extent, the New York Times and the Washington Post. You just won't. It's almost like they're not allowed to talk about these things. I don't know why. I think I do, but it is what it is. And that's why we do these. And that's why we have these conversations with people like uh, Sarah Lee Whitson, executive director of uh, Dawn, Democracy for the Arab World Now. Thank you, Sarah, so much Thank for your you. time. Pre appreciate it. I want to talk about something else before we go. And it's uh, about Ken Burns. Got a new doc out. You know, Ken Burns has, well, it, it's called, he's so good. He actually has something called the Burns effect. It's an effect that's used in documentaries and videographers use his techniques to make other documentaries today. 
and uh, and it's interesting what he does. He can take he could take a still and make it look like it's moving, and that's what he's done in many of his documentaries that are so good. Well, he's got a documentary that's coming out this week. It's called The U.S. and the Holocaust. And um, in fact, here's a bit of the trailer. My colleagues and I have been making documentaries about America for more than 40 years. Our next film is one of the most important we've ever worked on. Let me tell you what this is about, or what it seems to be about. I haven't seen it yet, by the way, but it's called The U.S. and the Holocaust on PBS. Brand new Ken Burns documentary. They're always good. I expect this one will be good. Seems like it's timely, too. Let me tell it to you this way. I have a dear friend of mine who was sharing a story with me recently about something that happened to his daughter. He said one of his daughters was visiting some friends, and I guess they had a gathering somewhere. And they started talking, and it turns out that these folks, these young men that his daughter was talking to were very, um, how should I say, well, white nationalists, concerned, you know, right wing. And she later found out they were like right wing militia types. And she said at one point during their conversation, and she's not, by the way, you know, she's a Latina, but like, Many Latinos, you can't tell we're Latinos because we don't sound Latino. I sound like I'm from the Midwest, even though I was born in in Cuba. So I guess they took a liking and wanted to share some information with them. And they said, oh, yeah, we're white nationalists and we're getting ready for the war. And she was like, what war? Civil war that's coming. In fact, let us show you something. And then they took her down to, I guess, I don't know, the basement or something. And they opened up some doors. And there they had like an arsenal of weapons. Just all kinds of what looked like machine guns and weapons to be used for that day when suddenly fighting is going to take place on the streets of America because there's a civil war coming. And somehow one side is going to win out against the other. There's a lot of talk about these days. And I worry about that. We should all be worried about that. Because it would certainly be the last thing we need. And, and think about it. Whereas the last time our country had a civil war, 1862, 1863, um, there was one group that lived in one part of the nation and another group that lived in another part of the nation, and they fought each other, but there was a line of demarcation, right? Mason-Dixon. Well, that's not the case anymore. People in the same household, if there were a civil war and people were, I guess, I don't know how else to say this. If people were wanting to harm each other, it would literally be somebody living at a certain address killing another person in that address, and then going next door and killing their neighbor or joining forces with the other neighbor on the other side of the house. I mean, this is frightening. And, and, and I think what, what it seems like the U.S. and the Holocaust, this new Kirk Ken Burns doc is saying is America 
this nation we love might be on the precipice of something that looks like what happened in Germany. It seems like that's the point ideologically that they're trying to make. And if that's the case, we should watch this. Because I have never seen a time in my life. And look, I mean, I'm a guy who's worked at all the big networks, interviewed presidents, been around the world, covered wars. I was there during 9-11. I've seen a lot of stuff in my lifetime. But I've never seen anything like I'm seeing now where we're living in silos. One group of people lives over here and they only talk to this group of people. Another group of people lives over here and they only talk to the other group of people. And there are people in this country who only believe what certain people in this country tell them. And we hate other countries, but only if those are the countries we're told we're supposed to hate. It's all about hate. It's not about understanding. It's not about talking to other people. Just because somebody voted for Donald Trump does not mean I should hate them. And just because somebody voted for Joe Biden doesn't mean we should hate them. And if somebody's a Democrat or a Republican, that is not all they're about. And what we need to do is start having conversations with people we disagree with. And in Germany, as we all know, they decided there was only one way to think. And it's either you think like this, or you go to a concentration camp, or you get killed defending those people who would be sent to a concentration camp. Got away from them. I'm just thinking that maybe Ken Burns is saying this could get away from us too. And we need to be mindful to make sure it doesn't. I'm going to watch this documentary. I think there's a lot of talk of us being on the brink of civil war. And, and there are people out there who want to divide us because there's money in division, just like there's a lot of money to be made from war. As we heard just a little while ago in our conversation with Sarah. But we, as Americans, need to be smart enough to figure out who are the truth tellers and who are the demagogues. And there's plenty on both sides. That's what we try to do here. I mean, we, we, we do Latino truths. You know, as Latinos in the United States, we're kind of in the middle of all this. You know, we don't want to be on either side. I, I don't think we're extremists. We're less apt to be an extremist than just about anybody else in this country. We just want to go to work and go to church and take care of our families. And that's why we do this, this thing called Rick Sanchez News, this podcast. And that's why three days a week I sit down and tell you through some of the stories and some of the things that are happening in our country through our eyes as Latinos. And these things are important. And if, if, you, if you'd be nice enough to do so, please share this with others like-minded, other Latinos or other whatever. If you, you can find us, as you know, on Spotify or on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. And we want you to plug into us because we want to keep this conversation going because we talk about a lot of the things that you're not going to hear anywhere else. And if you happen to be listening to us on uh, YouTube, do me a favor. 
subscribe. Dale, ándale y vamos con todo. 